All right, so uh, I'm here with uh, my friend Mardiki Reed, uh, and uh, in a change up from the previous uh, from the previous half of the episode, we're going to talk about uh, some lighter things, um, such as uh, video games and specifically uh, the '90s uh, era of PC games that uh, I think we both look back on very fondly. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks hey. for uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, no problem. And I have a correction to make, actually, mm. already. Not even less than a minute in. Oh, no. It's actually, my name's, <laughs> my name's actually pronounced Mataki. Like, Mataki, that's like right. Austin. That's right. I'm sorry. The R is, uh, the R is silent. I yeah. should have remembered that. <laughs> no worries. Um. I know, I know you well enough that it's all cool. <laughs> um. Yeah, so, um. I want to I want to know about like sort of like what got uh, what what got you you into into the into these games and like what game was sort of like you know what game would you say was like formative for you that really kind of like really opened your eyes to anything? Um, if you're going for going over the whole wide expanse over like the entire decade of the 1990s, I think it probably starts with I think it was actually the summer of. 89 that my dad came home from work with one of those um compact computers that was like a briefcase that oh, was yeah. like this massive thing that you went ahead and you carried around by its handle and then um also we went and we got a bunch of shareware games so like, yes I, I remember that drive. business model doesn't exist yes. anymore but <laughs> so that was like that was like my first exposure like actually touching a keyboard and like now i work in like technology and I'm busy like making web pages all day for like my living but that is kind of where it started and the idea of like text-based like games shareware discs being able to swap out being able to play basically spent an entire summer like playing all these games um I also had that same summer um we had started getting a magazine subscription to 321 contact magazine and in the back they used to have hmm. a printout of games that were all in basic so you can go ahead, type out these basic programs into a computer if you had access to it, and then play the game. That's incredible. And if you were sneaky about it and you recognized and could actually understand, I was about eight years old at this point. If you could understand like what the different game logic was doing, you can go in then and reprogram the games so that the games were actually more easily winnable for you. Or you could like <laughs> put in like extra boosters and stuff like that. So yeah, that was my first exposure to the world of programming and the world of being able to do that. So, so thank you very much, 321 Contact Magazine. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to 321. <laughs> um, and then going into those, then we kind of like my brother and I kind of just took off from there. We were already kind of like natural born nerds and geeks. Like my dad was an econ demographics PhD and like my mom was like heavily into like she was a nurse but she was also heavily into the idea of computers and technology and stuff like that so we just like I think innately genetically had geeked them inside yeah. our, our bodies and we kind of took off from there we kept like going to asking my dad to go to the computer store getting more shareware games eventually moving to the fact that we're actually paying for games and stuff like that so <laughs> getting exposure to um America Online and CompuServe back in the day and like playing like Carmen Sandiego back when you had to like dial in in order to play it and it wasn't like actively available on your computers. So yeah, I, I remember I, I was 
um, my background was like very similar in that, you know, my, my dad was an engineer and uh, we had a computer in the house, I think after, after, I guess I was probably around nine or 10 at that point. Um, and I was like the same way, you know, I was like, yeah, let's go down to like the local whatever. I don't even know what they were, what they were called, like whatever these stores were that sold these uh, uh, shareware games on floppies for like two bucks a pop or something like that. I was like, yes, and, let's go get those. And sometimes it was the individual games that were each there. Sometimes they had like a whole pack and it's like, yeah, yeah, that was games at once. And yeah, and like maybe three of them would be like worth playing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then there was also a progression onto, I'm trying to think of the games that I remember from my childhood. And those really, there's probably four of them that kind of stand out for me. Mm-hmm. There was uh, Commander Keen. And I forget which Classic. Commander Keen it was. I Classic. think it was actually the second Commander Keen that we ended up playing that I never finished, but I just re- still remember going through it, and I remember the monsters, I remember all of that. Um, there was Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Oh, was that was that one of the LucasArts point-and-click ones? Or... It was. Okay. I, yeah. I was heavily into point-and-click stuff. So, okay. Yeah. Um, there was... Baldur's Gate, which I think was later on the continuum. I think that didn't hit until I got to college, so it was like the very end of the 90s. Yeah. And like I played through like Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 and like Icewind Dale and eventually moved on to like Planescape Torment and like all of those. So like the next progression in my point and click like RPG-ness. Mm-hmm. Um, but even before that and something that was super instrumental to me and just like trying to figure out how game mechanics kind of works and various things like that and also ended up tying into some of my interests in politics and in economics was a game called merchant prince which which i didn't realize was actually also like i I actually looked it up before we started and it was actually like re-released after like after the company that created it merged with microprose they re-released it as Mm -hmm. machiavelli the prince so they like just put like a different gloss on it basically and I but, hear that there's like a sequel that came out also that was terrible, and so don't bother yeah, playing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. so I had not, I did not actually play that game. So I want to know like what what was it about that game that like was uh, was so formative for you? Um, I'm not sure what it was, but it, then it ended up informing like a lot of my. I feel like it informed a lot of my life decisions later in life. <laughs> so the premise of the game is that it's I forget what year they start you off in. It's somewhere in the early renaissance so i want to say it is either around the mid 1300s or else the very beginning of like 1400 or so and the idea is that you're starting to reach out and explore the world and you have this like trading company then so you kind of start in venice and all you know is venice to start with you start trading with assorted ports that are around up and down the mediterranean coast gradually expanding out as you go to new ports then you gain more knowledge about like the world that's larger outside Eventually, you can get to the point where you're kind of trading throughout Europe and Asia and up and down the coast of Africa. And I don't think they ever make, I can't remember right now, but I don't think they ever make it to the new world quite. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like going all through the old world. Um, You're busy um, deciding what it is that you want to specialize in, checking what the different ports are, like buying stuff in one port and sending it to another port, even if it's not what you specialize in and keeping track of what all the different um, markets are doing. And you're also looking out for all the other trading companies that are busy sail, sailing around with you. 
and there's a little bit of political intrigue along with it. It's called Merchant Prince, but a large back of it, like they have lots of information about um, Machiavelli and sort of like his insights that you have then. So you have the ability to go through and talk to the doji in Venice and try to like grease palms in order to like make things better for your company. You can go ahead and you can talk to the Pope. You can go ahead and you can hire assassins. You can go and do all these various things. And some of them are more savory than others. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I like, I like that formulation more savory than others. Yes. So it's like getting an awareness of like, I think I might've been around 10 or so. I'm trying to guess exactly. I couldn't remember exactly how old I was when I knew this, but it's like, okay, this is what happens when you explore the world. This is how the world works. And somehow that's now formed my worldview as I go through everything. Right. Um, I try to lean more on the more savory, for the record, I lean more on the more savory side of things than not. Try, it's, it's like this game is like slipping, you know, um, colonialism into like the consciousness of uh, impressionable tweens or something. It's like, here, here's mercantilism. Yeah, that's you right. Go through and do this. Here's how politics works. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, I, it's all. It, I've always found it kind of interesting that, in many ways, like those games, uh, like the exploration games and the building games from those periods, like because they didn't, because like the facility to create these very immersive graphical environments didn't really exist. I think, uh, like the designers spent more time like thinking about. Um, like thinking about gameplay, but also thinking about content. Um, Cause that's something yes. that I think is, is a lot of games, uh, a lot of contemporary games that I play, like seem to be missing that. I think there's, that's might be a reason why I actually don't play a ton of games right now, especially games that are like on the console or anything like that, because yeah. that idea of story and that idea of just being, having a robust plot and a plot that is more than a, okay, go and do these things now, go and shoot kind of idea. That's, that's not something that appeals to me. I want to have more of that, okay, there's other, like, NPCs, non-playable characters who are out there who, like, are actually closer to being legitimate humans and like, characters and engaging that, the ability to even, like, go through and, like, create my own solution or feel like I'm creating my own solution there. As you might have guessed, I was also a big fan of the Choose Your Own Adventure yeah books <laughs> and so um things that's part of why i think i also like things like um planescape torment because mm-hmm. of that game if you know anything about that game for folks who might have played it and jerry maybe i know i think you've played it before so you might be able to i played it a little bit i haven't actually gone like all the all like way in depth in it but i've played it a little bit that's a game that I actually went through and I finished, which doesn't always happen with me in games then, but it was something that caught my um, caught my eye and I was able to go through the whole thing. And it's a game that, I'm trying to even, cause I didn't, I, I will admit that I didn't prepare a lot for this. So I didn't go back and like review what the plot No worries. Because this is like, like, you know, it's just We're, like we're keeping it chill. We're keeping it very chill. <laughs> um, but you go through it, you've been essentially like condemned to like, a level of hell in this um, D&D universe. So it's not the same as like our regular world or anything like that. And you get a chance to sort of like continue moving out and you can move to other sort of like areas of it in order to try and figure out how better to improve your situation. And you could potentially move yourself to another planescape. You could stay 
like in the torment level. And apologies to anyone out there who like really adores this game and like knows remembers the entire plot <laughs> word for word. I haven't played this game in about I would say fifteen, maybe even twenty years. So I actually like I think when um this there's this company called like GOG which sells a lot of old games uh online and like I, I at one point I acquired the entire Baldur's Gate like Icewind Dale Planescape Torment library but then like yeah. I never really I, I've played some of the I played some of them but I, I, they're just like very long and very involved and I have haven't really had the patience to see them all the way through see I, I don't know if you should have told me that because like I would want to do that right now I don't necessarily have time right now in my life to go through it <laughs> I don't either <laughs> but I want to it's like you said that yeah. there's like a deep desire oh no to, like, oh no and buy so all right, well, forget I told you that. Uh, okay. You can't get them anywhere. They've been lost to the mists of time. Forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's interesting because, like, I, I have this, I remember about, I guess it was probably about six years ago or so, I, I got um, I got my hands on Skyrim, which is sort of, like, uh-huh. which was the latest iteration of the, uh, the Elder Scrolls games. And I was kind of, like, I was both, like, excited and also disappointed and the thing that disappointed me was how like they they, you know they invested all this time and effort into building these uh very beautiful worlds but the actual like inter interactivity of it was extremely shallow right and like that's what i think kind of captured me about the uh for example like the um uh the Baldur's gate games is that they actually had like a fairly decent depth of 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 character and writing um uh-huh. that that was like um that, that, I, that i think sort of you know the effort has moved to other things and so yeah. sometimes that, that doesn't uh that doesn't get its due um so how are recommending just... games that might be currently available have you played at all any of the dragon age games i have played dragon age dragon age is the exception to this actually um yes. i'm very impressed with that with what they've done uh with with that one that's another one of those things where like i played it and then i i was like i don't know some tens of hours into it and i was just like i, I can't do this anymore i have to like i i have i have to go live like a real life and uh not not spend it playing games, but which which is unfortunate, I I, but like that's just how it goes. I think I did this. I did the same thing, and then when Dragon Age, I forget whether it was the two or the three, or whatever the most recent one that's come out is. I think I skipped Dragon Age two, and then Dragon Age the third yeah. one came out, and I went ahead and I bought it again, and I've started it, and I was like, "You're getting too sucked into this. You can't do this right now." So. They- the games that the games that I was like the formative game for me and let, tell me if you remember this, uh, there was a game that showed up sometime around I'm I want to say like either ninety one, circa ninety one I don't know if that's exactly correct, uh, but it was called Another World. Um, I I've heard of it. But I don't so know it was it was very interesting. It was like a platformer, um, and it had these. It was like it was different at that time because it was rendered in like it was like polygon rendered instead of sprite rendered uh which was totally revolutionary uh in 1991 and it was just this game like it had no it had no dialogue it had nothing it was just and it had these puzzles and you were like this little you were this guy who um was conducting an experiment and you found yourself transported into an alternate dimension oh wow and then uh you just 
what happens is like the, the way that the game opens is that it drops you into like a pool of water right and you're like all of a sudden you're in this like you know deep pool of water and you have to figure out like what am i going to do okay and then so if you don't swim to the surface a tentacle comes up from the the bottom and like you know pulls you in and you die and then you swim to the surface and you come out and then you you're like exploring the area and it's a it's a 2d side scroller you're exploring the area and all of a sudden there's like this beastie that looks like a i don't know like a kind of a boar or something like that and you know if you don't run away like it'll get you and and every one of these like the cool thing about this game was that it had it never explained itself it just left you to figure out like what were the things that i had to do in order to get from like in order to get to the next stage in order to solve this puzzle and then like there were these like aliens there i guess who were like they, they kind of look like bears like bears that walk on hind legs and use guns <laughs> and and like you you befriended like you, you they, eventually they would capture you, you like befriend one of them like who was also a prisoner with you it was really cool and it did all of this without actually using any words at all uh it it like, no it dialogue like the same mechanics but a flip because of the no words from like the classic like text-based role-playing yeah exactly yeah. it was like an inversion of that right so instead of like reading everything you're just seeing everything but you don't but nobody's giving you any explanation um yeah. it that, also sounds like it'd be really cool if that was that game was translated to like a modern like mobile device i could totally except for the whole like thing where like you'd want to like keep playing it and you need to save and stuff like that. yeah yeah like, i mean like you you can get through this game like once you know once you know how the game goes like you can get through it in like 30 minutes which was another uh, i think virtue of some of these games was that the like you know like the commander keens you didn't yeah. You could get through Commander Keen in like a good hour if you if you knew what you were doing. Yeah. Um, did you ever play any of the old text-based games? I did. I mean, that was one of the first things I played was uh, was like the um, the Zork and the Zork type games, I guess. At one point, I actually played the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy text-based game. I don't know if you ever oh, played cool. that. I've heard of it, but I never played it. It was funny, but it was like the, the thing that I didn't understand. This was before I'd actually read the books. So I okay. had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I didn't understand. Like, why am I like, why is there a bulldozer? Like, why is it trying to knock down the house? How do I survive? Like, none of those things made any sense to me. And then why actually, isn't it important that I go back and get a towel? That's right. Why, why, should, why do I need this towel? Like, that, none of this made sense. And then um, actually after I had read the books, I went back and replayed the games and like got a really great kick out of it because Douglas Adams had actually written, uh, I think he was, was actually responsible for like writing the game script itself. If I'm, I think that's true. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> there, there was a point in college when I got heavily into, um, playing like modern text place games, like got into like the whole interactive fiction mm -hmm. community. Cause like there's still a community out there for people who are like writing the games right now. Um, so shout outs to Emily short or Andrew Plotkin. If you're listening to this recording right now, like, thank you so much for all the work that you've done and the games that you wrote. Um, uh, thank you also to anyone, all the other people who have been involved in this, who I didn't call out because they're not celebrities in interactive <laughs> fiction or anything like that. Um, but like going through and like they have like annual competitions and they have like award ceremonies and various things to say like there's this still like relatively small but 
active and sort of like thriving community for people who are writing games, people who are playing the games, people who are like reviewing the games. Yeah. It's all like strictly text based and like very minor um, graphics occasionally. So, th- so speaking of like text based and minor graphics, like one thing that I was super into was roguelikes. Yeah. You know, were you, was that a thing that you were, uh, that was also a thing I did. Okay. Yes. I more recently than I care to admit. Yes. Well, the, no, but they're really like. I actually went. Uh, I actually went to like a roguelike developer. I, I I hesitate to call it a conference, even though that's what it called itself, because <laughs> it was like twenty people in a you know in a classroom in NYU. But mm-hmm. it was actually kind of cool to get to get to like just hang out with people and just look at other folks' projects. Uh, people do some really amazing things with, um, you know, with ASCII characters. Have you written a roguelike? That's my next logical question that I have to ask <laughs> after you reveal that. So, and can I play? And if you have, can I play it? So uh, the answer is sort of and not really because the problem is that it's not complete. So I actually started a project of working on a on a roguelike just to see what I was interested in was mostly kind of recreating one of the classics. And just to get a feel for how um, how the composition of the code sort of fits together, because one one of the things I really enjoy was like um, reading. There, there was a time when I really enjoyed reading like the comments of uh, the folks who developed like NetHack. Yeah. Uh, just because it was interesting to me, like how they solved certain problems and didn't solve other problems. Um, okay. And they were actually very open about like, you know, how some of the things that they did were like total hacks and other things are just, you know, like so some things were good and others were just like, eh, you know, you can kind of live with can this. You give me, can you give me uh, an example of something that they solved and something they didn't solve? I know. I'm sorry. You're I, supposed to be yeah, I don't I don't remember. There was something I, I remember it had something to do with the way that like the. um I think things like um, the resolution of uh, like various properties, like how they like figured out how how to sort of compose all the different effects that like other possessions that you might be carrying have on you, like that was really clever. And then there's something else that was just kind of like I can't remember what it was, but I, I think the 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 guy who like wrote it was just like, well, you know, he just hard coded three things and like left it at that because and threw it, threw up his hands at everything else that might go into it. Yeah, yeah. So that was, um, so I was real. I was really into NetHack for a while. Um, that was that was definitely a game that um, that I thought again, again, right? You don't have any. I mean, there you just really don't have any graphics or anything like that you don't worry about rendering anything it's all gameplay right like everything you do is gameplay i thought that was pretty cool you quickly realize like what all the different characters mean and if you see something that is slightly different you kind of get a sense like okay this is a similar color to what i've seen before but it's a different symbol let me go and cautiously poke that thing right right and it's a, and it's a kind of gameplay that really like you know, it disciplines you because you're like, oh, I screwed up and now I'm dead. And now I have to start everything from the beginning. Uh, so it definitely, it's definitely not forgiving in the way that I think uh, a lot of um, a lot of uh, modern games might be. Although, like, roguelikes have had a really 
big resurgence recently. I think in in sort of like that that style of play, even if it's supplemented by like modern graphics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I guess that there's also the things that the folks like you and I who grew up grew up, grew up playing these things like we're like where did they go and let's find a way to bring them back in some way. Yeah, well, some of those people are uh, are developers now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I think it probably like NetHack in some ways is kind of like, you know, there's that there's that a possibly apocryphal quote about the Velvet Underground, how only like ten thousand people listen to them, but everybody that listened, you know, <laughs> uh, started their own band. Uh, where and I think like NetHack, like I'm gonna I'm gonna make this bold claim that NetHack is the Velvet Underground of gaming. Like not that many people played it, but the people that did, they're really into it, and they you know they they took that uh, that vision with them. I don't know if that's true or not because I know a fair number of people who played that hack. Maybe it just says something about my friend base. It definitely <laughs> says something about my friend base because, uh, yeah, uh, I was, I was, yeah, I had, I had a friend in like in elementary school and he had a better computer than I did, and his computer could run one of the latest King's Quest games. I forget which one it was, but it was like five, maybe six. I don't remember. Okay and I like played, i played one of those two so. i and i just remember like i would like i i got in trouble because i would ditch school to go like with him and play king's quest like at his house and eventually my parents found out they were like what are you doing we're, we're not gonna let you do this anymore so yeah once once upon a time there was a time where i think it was in early high school i found out and this was the day before, days before um, computers at schools were like excessively locked down. I may have installed a program on a computer at my school library, and then like in the evenings where I was there and supposed to be like doing homework, I actually like spent a good fair amount of time like playing games on this. I get the I get my high school like money now, so I think I'll be fine. At, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> it's it's too late for it's too late for them to to revoke the diploma. Yeah, I graduated from college. I'm in a master's program now. It's all good. So, but I will go ahead and say, like, I I have a memory of doing that, so I think that it probably happened because it's not like some kind of implanted memory. There. Yeah, the other the other games I was really into was I, I I'm a big fan of like the what are I guess these days are called like 4x games, uh, but mm -hmm. so like Civilization is sort of the the oh. er, the er founder I guess uh, example of of this genre. Uh, I forget what all the X's stand for, like explore, ex exploit, something, something, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I was a big fan of like Civ from the very beginning, Master of Orion. I never played it's... Master of Orion. I'd only gotten to Civ and um, Civ 2. I was a big fan actually of Alpha Centauri. I don't know. Alpha Centauri was... No, I thought Alpha Centauri was fantastic. It was really put a good spin on that uh, on that genre, I think. I have not kept up, like I said, I haven't kept up with the game. Like, I've seen, like, the new civs that are coming up. I just, I don't have the time, because I know that if I start on those things, like, I'm just going to get yeah. sucked in, because they're so lovely. They, they are beautiful. They are absolutely beautiful. Um, I will say that. Um, yeah, it was, um, the, the, other, the other set of games that, um, tell me if you remember this game called Magic Carpet. Is that ring of no. Magic Carpet. Tell me about it. Well, so there was this, like, 
There was a studio in the 90s, and it was uh, I think it was founded by the guy whose name escapes me at the moment, who uh, created the Ultima games. Oh, um, yeah. Um, the, the, there was the... Because they were married together. It was... There was a woman, and there was a... His yeah. name was like... I don't remember his name. I... I all I know is that I think it was it was the company was called Bullfrog, okay. and um, they put out like a number of really cool games with with really interesting concepts. And one of them was this game called Magic Carpet, where the premise is that you are you fly around on a magic carpet and you collect mana, and you yeah. use that mana to build a castle. And like your goal is basically to collect the mana in like at every state at every world that you go to like you collect the mana and you use it to build your castle and like once you build your castle to the maximum level you move on to the next world and there are other castle reminds me something british the guy yeah 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 uh, it's it's like his name was like peter peter what i can't remember it I, like now I'm... I, feel, I feel like it had something to do with some country like he was something british or something french or yeah something. lord british was his name in the ultima games Oh, right. Okay. That's what that That's was the why. moniker or something like that, like the pseudonym that he, by which he inserted himself, like Kurt Vonnegut, you know, was in, uh, or uh, or what's his name, like like Hitchcock, you know, Hitchcock would put himself in his own movies, mm -hmm. and uh, this guy did the same thing. Um, so yeah, in the in the Ultima games, he was he was Lord British, but I don't remember his real name. Okay. Um, and yeah, yeah, this game. So I don't I don't even remember that. This game was. This game was just great because it had this like, you know, you fl you fly around on this magic carpet, you collect the stuff, you fight the you fight monsters like, and then there are other people who also like other wizards because you're a wizard, other wizards who also fly around on their magic carpets and they are trying to like you know harvest the mana for themselves. Um, it was one of those games that like, <clears throat> it was one of probably one of the first, uh, the first like, three D shooters I guess. Oh, so it was okay. definitely it, it definitely came after Wolfenstein, but not that long after. So it was like in the Wolfenstein and Doom like era of things. It was in that era, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I should go on the record that I've never played either Wolfenstein or Doom, which I don't know what that says about. I I have to I have to say that it's it's interesting. So I've recently had the um, uh, the pleasure of playing like the latest Doom. And one of the things that that um, I sort of think is kind of funny is that like those early games, you know, probably by necessity, they didn't take themselves particularly seriously. So like <laughs> early Doom was super campy. I mean, yeah. and like now it's all like now that, you know, you can do photorealism and, you know, in real time. It's like, oh, these like monsters, everything, you know, everything is like got dark lighting. Everything is like very serious. I'm like. Doom is a campy pleasure. I, I I don't know if you I don't know if you're really capturing like the spirit of the thing if you're making it into like a really serious undertaking. If you're trying to make it into like a res Resident Evil movie without the campiness, even that's in that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's one of those things where I feel like the games have informed so much of like who I am as a person kind of like I and even like you talking about it I didn't even think about the oh yes I played these type of games oh yes I played those type of games I've been basically playing games from the age of like seven on and that's all I've been doing whether 
computer games or then like it's I think computer games actually helped inform my love of board games rather than coming around the other way so well like what, what what's interesting is that you know you are by profession uh, a user experience um professional right I mean like that's yeah. your that that's what you actually do and I'm wondering like is there anything that you are there any experiences that you've had like uh in gaming that maybe shed like some light on what you think uh are good principles for like ux design or something like that is absolutely. there like absolutely and i i hope everyone who's listening to the podcast right now knows what ux design is if they don't please go google it or look into user experience design or user experience development and the whole um idea of going through and creating software with the needs of the person who's interacting with it in mind as opposed to just like trying to set some like goal for the software and doing that even if it makes the person on the other side's um, life more miserable in order to try and step through your interface or go through the decisions that you've made as a developer or as a business person to go through it. So I think there's stuff when the games are being created and if the plot is written in a way to sort of like pull people along with the story, bring people into the story, then like that's something that we do when we're going through and we're like working on our websites we try and like think about what the flow is of the content think what the flow is for the interactions so it's easy and it's simple and it's natural for people to just go to the next step in the process and it kind of is intuitive and it makes sense so that's kind of something you'd want to do like in a game especially if it's a game where it's like going through and you're supposed to be going through a story and be on the journey you don't want to make too large of a mental leap in order to get to the next point in time you kind mm. of want to go to the next progressive thing that makes sense oh yeah it makes sense that i would go ahead if i'm in this room and i can't figure out how to get up that i would look to try and open the door if the door is locked okay what would i do next like kind of like the things that make sense that is the the way that you want to try and like bring people along in it um and then even just looking like as i've been going through and playing games i get really irritated like now like even before i be went into user experience like interactions and interfaces that are just like awkward and tough to like deal with if i'm trying yeah. to click on some little pixel dot that's like too small you have to like hit it right pinpoint on like that's a fail for me that's gonna make me like get irritated at the game get irritated at the person who made the game and the next time something happens that's a minor irritation i'm gonna just like close the whole thing so if you're trying to actually like engage with the person on the other side, if you're if you've created software and games and you're trying to engage with the person who's playing the game, like you gotta think about like their experience as well and think of the whole thing as like a conversation or like a relationship that's going on. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point because I think sometimes, especially like I know that you know when I'm when I'm working on some piece of software, I'm like, oh, this would be such a great idea. And then, you know, uh, a week later, I'm like, oh, but this is so inconvenient to use. And like, nobody would ever actually do it this way. Like nobody would would want to use it. But, you know, I eat my own dog food because I already like I already wrote the code. <laughs> but then I but then I also like feel bad about it because I'm like, ah, oh, you know, nobody nobody's going to want to do this. Like I need somebody who actually knows what people would want to do. As, so a, they, as a user experience researcher, I have to I have to tell you, Jerry, you are not your user. You're too close. I know, to I know. That's right. Like I know that. I intellectually, I know that. But so go and put it and give it to another developer. Then there might be another developer who doesn't work with the same type of code that you are, and say like, hey, 
do it. Or shoot, like, I'll go ahead and say, Jerry, we work at the same company. Ping me and say, hey. It's true, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I think one of the, like, interesting things that happened um, as games, uh, as games sort of, like, became, like, a big thing, you know, it became, you know, AAA productions, so to speak, um, is that a lot of the, that early diversity that allowed, you know, that, that, that had, that had like multiple ways of doing, doing things. They had a lot of different, um, just a lot of different genres that were being just created sort of almost, I'm I'm not going to say de novo, but we're being, we're being like spun off into different directions. A lot of that, um, I think there was, there was a period, I think probably, sort of between maybe that maybe is coming to an end now but i felt like there was a period when a lot of that diversity just disappeared because like the stuff like the stuff that was kind of weird and wacky and wasn't maybe didn't maybe neatly fit into predefined categories just couldn't survive so i don't know part of it was the the growing like popularity in games and the recognizing of games as like a profit center that then led to the business of saying like, okay, we have to make this type of game that's going to make enough money to actually justify us keeping these many developers and writers and designers and whoever else and all the backing that we need for this company on staff. So like we have to hit our, our profits like in there. So then that, that kind of doesn't allow for some of that experimentation that you might have otherwise where it's a okay let's go out there and let's try something that might be a little bit new that's maybe not going to be hitting like the maximizing profit profit mark but it's something that we can at least try and if it doesn't work out then we can go ahead and try something else later and i think it's been like in in the last couple years have been a lot of uh, indie developers who have been creating all kinds of like different things and now there are platforms for people to make that kind of stuff available and i think that like that's one of the reasons why i think maybe we're seeing a lot more variations on those old themes that are now being kind of rediscovered is that people have there's there are platforms now that make it possible to disseminate those kinds of productions without necessarily having to you know spend 10 million dollars creating or whatever it is creating a game and you know paying or selling something to a big firm that's got like all the financial backing behind it to actually help get that game to the market there's other ways now where you you can go directly to people who are interested in the games yeah so so if there's one thing if there's one game like that you think that you would recommend to people from 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 like that period what would it be what would you say like is the is the thing that you know you really have to play I love Planescape Tournament. Okay. I also love Civ. (laughs) Civ is good. Civ is is an absolute classic. Yeah. Um, My my big recommendation... Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Depends on what people are into. I think I've played such a wide variety of games that I'm trying to think about. And I know that my tastes are... My tastes are both eclectic, and I don't know if they hit sort of like mass market like points. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm asking more as like a fan, you know, like like this is a cool thing, and I like I want other people to be excited about this cool thing. So, I'd say uh, Planescape Torment, especially if it's its graphics are relatively robust enough that it's not like a complete departure away from it. Otherwise, I would say 
I'm trying to remember, there's actually, and this doesn't quite answer your question, but it's the same style of game. There is a text-based game I'm trying to remember the name of now, and I might actually do a quick Google search, just double-check at it, but I think it came out in the early 2000s that is, like, a fantastic type of game. It's, like, just something that, like, pulls you in in terms of plot-wise and, like, kind of doesn't let go of it you. And mm-hmm. you, like, go through and you want to continue playing this game. This like, is really interesting. Point. So what what is it? I'm about to go and see if I can Google really quickly and do it. Because I remember who wrote it, but I can't remember the actual name of it. So, all right, I'm looking at the Wikipedia um, <laughs> item right now for the guy who wrote it to see if I can see the actual name. I'm pretty sure that it is Spider and Web. Okay. Plotkin. Okay. And it's, it's a text-based game, so if you go through and you basically do like a Google search for that, you'll be able to find it. It'll walk you through how to get the software to download and play it, which is a relatively quick setup. And then you should go try to play it. And Jerry, if you haven't played it also, you should play it. Well, I will now. Now that, now that you've made uh, that recommendation, I will definitely check it out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the game that I was talking about. I'm going in. Yeah, I would I would say that like my my my, my favorite kind of my two favorite games from that era are probably Magic Carpet, which I thought was just really like just really well done and like executed its uh its it executed its conceit in like just the just the correct way. Um mm-hmm. so I really enjoy that. Like I it, you know, it had it had a vision and it really brought that vision to to uh into existence. Um, and the other game that I really enjoy, like sort of, uh, was, uh, XCOM, which, it, which I think a lot of people oh, yeah. probably, um, yeah. So that, that, that's also a classic for me. that was like a very formative game in my, in my gaming experience. Um, and, and for me, for me I'd say if you don't like, if you try Playscape Torment, if you, don't, if you don't like that and you try Spider Web, you don't like that. Try Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis because it's a good Indiana Jones property. Yeah, that, I, I was never a big point and click guy. That was okay. that was not necess- That was not my thing. Uh, except I mean, I did like I did play Space Quest a little bit and and King's Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I knew about those um, those Lucas Arts games. Yeah, they definitely have a very high reputation. Did you ever? I was gonna say like the Monkey Islands and various Yeah, things. the Monkey Islands. Oh, this reminds me of like I, I remembered a great, great point and click. Uh did you ever play Goblins? No, but I I've heard it I've oh. heard the name, but I don't think I've ever played it or know what's involved in it. Goblins, I don't even know where this game came from, but it was so great. It was this game where you control three you control these three goblins and your goal is to like uh you're supposed to like the king was like trapped by an evil wizard and you're supposed to rescue the king which is sort of like not really relevant but the great thing about it was that each goblin could do uh a different thing there was like a punching goblin there was a tool using goblin and there was a magic goblin and you're now i think i maybe i either played this game or i played a game that used the same conceits because i remember that there were having like a crew of people that you could I think it was one of the first games that actually had this mechanic. And uh, there were actually three of these games. The, I only, I, the first one was the best, I think, because it really, like, um, it, just, it just really was, uh, was charming and fun to play. Um, and if you like 
point and click stuff that you can get through in like 45 minutes that is the game for you um i'm gonna go check and see if i can find it's, if it's been re-released or something it, it's a <laughs> super it's a super cute puzzle game it's funny it's clever and it's just uh it, it it's just put together in 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 a, in a fantastic fashion so that that's my i'm glad you we remember that <laughs> cool well thank you so much uh this has been absolutely lovely Yes, it's been a great pleasure. Uh, right, I'll see you later. All right. <laughs> I'll talk to you. Bye.